Hello, witches. This is Kara Kovacs, and this is Business Witch. As a third-generation witch, at least, and a business and life coach for mission-driven entrepreneurs and leaders, I teach you how to make money and magic as liberatory practices. Because when we know, seek, and embrace our full potential, we create a better world for everyone. Here you'll find tools, conversations, spells, and inspiration that take you from waiting to creating so you can build the business and life you're oh so worthy and capable of having. Let's go. Hey y'all, today we are going to be talking about ethically coaching on objections. And I felt inspired to do this episode basically because of y'all. Y'all inspire all the things that I do in my business. But something I've noticed with my clients and the students that I have in Business Switch, which is relaunching in January, by the way, um, is that there's a lot of confusion, hesitation, self-critique, fear, you know, all those uncomfortable feelings that come up when we talk about coaching on objections. And first of all, that makes all the sense in the world. Coaching on objections is such a tender thing. Essentially, if we were to, you know, look at this more in the general culture of coaching, like if we were going to make this more macro, what we're talking about is somebody says they don't know, or they aren't sure, or they're not ready to work with you. And then we're like, actually, let me talk you into thinking a different way about that. So, you know, in a lot of other business coaching programs or a lot of other coaching communities, there's a way in which that language can sound very coercive. It can sound manipulative. And if you are a value-driven person, then that's going to feel icky in your body. Congratulations. You have empathy. (laughs) You're not a sociopath. You don't want to push people past their boundaries. Now, on the other hand, this means not only like leaving money on the table, because yes, if people who, you know, you walk them through, you coach them on injections, and then they decide to enroll they walk away because you didn't coach them on objections. Like, yes, you are losing money. But I actually think that the more important thing here is that when you don't coach people on objections, you are oftentimes leaving people to wander off into the night with their issue that you could have helped them with because they were afraid. Like any of you who've ever enrolled with a coach or bought a coaching certification program or invested in high quality services or paid for a therapist, whatever, it is a vulnerable thing, not just to spend the money, but to also say, you know, I'm entrusting something that I am struggling with, or that I really want, or that is really important to me into the hands of this person, oftentimes who prior to the enrollment conversation, you may have never spoken to before for a certain amount of money. And like, I have to show up to that process and do work and like hope that it creates the results that I want in an imaginal future that I am not currently experiencing, of course people have objections. So when you walk away and you say like, okay, like I totally understand, you know, think about it, get back to me, whatever. And you don't actually hold the integrity of the possibility of the work and like what they can create in your work together, you are not doing as powerful of coaching as you could be doing otherwise. All that being said, I did want to make some really important distinctions. One about how to do this ethically. So, you know, in alignment with your values and two, the ways in which you can tell from the perspective of the coach, like, is it ethical to coach on this objection or not? 
based on how the client comes to you. Because a lot of the language that I see around coaching on objections, you'll be hearing me talk about this in a couple of weeks, a little spoiler alert, but I'm doing a lot of research on how life coaching has a lot of similarities to cults. And I mean, maybe you're not surprised by that because we've been seeing lots of fun things on Netflix, like the Twin Flames documentary, Um, or at least I've been seeing that. You should watch it or maybe you shouldn't. I don't know. It's highly disturbing. But the point being, there are a lot of ways in which the sales structure in coaching is not only reminiscent of used car salesmen, because I use that metaphor a lot, but it's also reminiscent of cultish ideology one of the key signifiers of cults, again, to foreshadow this upcoming episode, is coercion and manipulation to join. And so we really want to avoid that on our enrollment calls, which is why people who are like, okay, you told me no, I respect you. So I'm not going to push against your no. And I don't see a lot of people who talk about this from an ethics-based approach. I see more people talking about this when they push a really hard sale and even the language of sales and marketing, which I talk about so much on the podcast, it feels very extractive and exploitative to me. Things like marketing to pain points, pushing on objections, enrollment, right? The word enrollment has a certain energy about it. You're like inviting someone to sign up for, to like partner in. And I It's funny, I think about the similarities as a polyamorous person, and you've heard me maybe talk about this on other podcasts besides my own, but I think about the similarities to the language in polyamory and what it implies about the person um, and the, the language of coaching and what it implies about the client. Like there's a lot of language that is just really disempowering. And my hope, as we all know, language evolves so much, it changes every year, everything from colloquialisms, If y'all remember when we were saying on fleek um, to, you know, the language around gender expansive identities, like we come up with new words to define things that were not previously definable very often. And I take a lot of issue with sales language and also polyamorous language because it diminishes people. And so I think we need some new scripts. And I just want to call that out as we start to go through this. And I want you to think very critically about the energy of the words that you are using. And to give, you know, a poly example and a business example to kind of make this more concrete for you all, the language of hierarchical relationships in polyamory. So a hierarchical relationship for those of you who are like, I'm not polyamorous, what the fuck are you talking about? Is when the person maybe lives with or has one partner that they've had longer or has one partner that represents kind of like an elevated level of importance in comparison to the other partners and the dynamic, that person is called primary. It's a primary partnership. And then the partners outside of that, like the other people that this person may be dating, are called secondary. As someone with a number of poly clients and as a polyamorous person um, myself, I don't want to be called secondary. Like I'm not second to anyone, bitch. Like I am first, right? So I really like the language of nesting, which means like cohabitating, you live together, nesting partner and non-nesting partner. So yes, perhaps there is like an elevated level of importance that you share a mortgage with this person or you've decided to share your bills and your finances and like very strategic life decisions that come in the form of a nesting relationship. and. The other partners are not secondary. They just don't live with you. Like they're just as important. Like your love for them can be just as deep and vast reflected in a different way, right? So there's always this evolution happening in polyamorous communities. New words are being invented every year. 
And I think for people who previously would have been qualified as secondaries, myself included, like that language makes them feel more empowered. To give you an example from entrepreneurship, I think marketing to people's pain points, like figuring out where they are in pain and then creating marketing copy that highlights how they are in pain, that feels so exploitative to me as opposed to understanding the struggles that your client is dealing with, really empathizing with them and thinking critically about how you can help support them and feeling more empowered about those struggles. There's not a word for that, (laughs) but I know in my own coaching relationships and in my community, I don't like to use the word targeting pain points, but I will still have a conversation around like, okay, well, what is your client struggling with? What are the tangible solutions that you might be able to offer them? And I think acknowledging that there's not an alternate language, but distinguishing energetically between this idea of the marketing book told me to exploit people's pain points and I really want to lean into thinking about the things that my clients are struggling with and how I can help them creates a very different energetic frequency from within the practitioner when they then go to create marketing copy. Because if you're somebody who is put off by that language, either consciously or subconsciously, you may have adopted, oh, this is the language that you know marketing books or marketing teachers tell me to use, but I feel icky about that, even though maybe I can't explain why. It's probably because it doesn't completely align with or is not congruent with your values. And then when you go to actually write things down, you feel weird. You feel like you don't know what to say. You feel stuck, right? And just changing the story a little bit about the intention of why you're actually thinking about those quote unquote pain points because you want to help people, not because you want to sell to people opens up a whole universe for my clients when they're able to like shift their mindset around that sort of thing. So again, the the words like coaching on objections really implies I am going to coach someone to change their mind about potentially a boundary that they are putting up. That can feel really scary if you're a coach who, and I hope you are, wants to respect people's boundaries. That's why the approach that I like to take around coaching on objections is that of curiosity. I am actually not trying to get somebody to change their mind about something that they believe is right for them, which by the way, is the opposite of our job as coaches. Our job as coaches is to help people connect to what their truth is and then feel empowered to follow their own truth. It's like one of the most beautiful things about coaching. And because that is the case, I think it's really important that we center curiosity, which means that we're going in and we're trying to understand, you know, you've inquired about these services. We've just spent 20 minutes or an hour talking about how you really want to change this thing in your life right now. And now you're saying you're not sure. Can you help me understand where that's coming from? And then based on my understanding, are you interested in me helping facilitate perhaps a change of a relationship to some fear or some stuckness or whatever it is that's blocking you so that you can feel more empowered to take the step that's right for you. Now, your ability to do that ethically is going to require practice. So congratulations, you have to mess this up a few times in order to be able to do it well. This is why when we start out, you have cheaper rates than you would, you know, when you've you've been in it for a while and you have a better grasp of what you're doing. And I think that that for new practitioners is really, really hard. And it doesn't matter if you're a therapist or a coach or a doctor or a teacher, or you're starting your first day at a new job. 
it is scary to do things for the first time, especially when there is a human on the other end of that experience and you want to do right by them. So I really encourage transparency in that, especially if you're a new practitioner, it's okay to be like, you know, I'd really love to get clear on what your no is about, not even necessarily so that you purchase something from me, but because I want to get better at holding space for people who have fear and resistance around saying yes. And like, maybe we can talk about that together, which by the way, you know, I articulated in that particular way, but in general, my favorite business strategy is say the truth as nicely as possible. <laughs> that's that's my favorite business strategy. So if you're struggling with wanting to sell something to a client because you think that it could help them, but like not wanting them to feel like you're trying to sell them something, just say the truth as kindly as possible. I'll give you another example. You know, I'm feeling a little bit of resistance into inviting you to exploring working with me because I don't want you to feel any kind of pressure that I'm trying to convince you to buy something from me. But based on what it is that you're saying, I think I could actually really help you. And if you're open, I'd love to explore that. Like this shit is not that hard. (laughs) But when we are in our heads thinking about it right from that way of how do I convert clients, another kind of coaching lingo word that feel like what in what other circumstances does converting people <laughs> is that a good thing you know what I mean like there's just such an energetic implication in a lot of the words that we use in coaching all right now this podcast episode was inspired by a conversation that literally came up in my group coaching program that I had never thought even to make this distinction before and it's a really really important distinction to make and that is, how to know when it's like a good opportunity to coach on objections versus we're going to respect people's boundaries and like maybe they come back in the future. So as a general rule of thumb, one of my favorite business strategies, I think the thing that has probably gotten me the most clients out of like, you know, maybe 60% of my clients have come from this is offering free calls to people I think I can help which I do by saying that sentence I said about 30 seconds ago, (laughs) you need to rewind it. I meet someone, I think their business is cool. I'm like, I think I could help you. Like, let's talk about it. Now, that person doesn't necessarily 100% of the time become a client, but they leave that conversation having a really good experience with me and becoming essentially what I would call like a brand advocate, which is like when you're not around and they're out talking to other people who are struggling with whatever it is that you specialize in, that person is then like, oh my God, I know somebody that you could talk to. So whether they become a client or they become a referrer, they're somebody who gets positively impacted by your work. And uh, that is always good for your business. And it's always good for them, right? Now, the thing about using that strategy is that if they have objections and you try to coach them on objections, there's a way in which it's much more coercive than if somebody independently seeks you out to try to hire you for your services. Okay, let me explain what I mean. So if somebody goes on my Instagram, sees the like link in bio, sees the application link to sign up with me and fills out the application link on which there is a question that says, are you aware this is how much it costs to work with me? And then clicks yes to that question. And then I schedule a call with them. We get on that call. We get to the end of the call. I tell them how much it's going to cost. And they're like, I don't know if I can afford it. 
I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> are you ready to coach on objections? Because you literally checkmarked yes, that you knew how much this cost before we got into this conversation. So there is a presumption of consent that the person had to mark off. This is why personally, I'm a fan of putting your price on your application. Like, I don't think about it as a general rule of thumb. I think of it more of a transparency piece. When I started in the industry, the trend was saying like, are you aware this is a five-figure investment or a four-figure investment or whatever? And like, what is a four-figure investment? Is it $1,000 or is it $9,000? Like, that's a huge range. You know, it doesn't really set the person up to be able to know what it is that they're walking into. If something is out of somebody's price range and it prevents them from filling out the application, you're also, yeah, probably not having a conversation about objections with that person. So I like it from a transparency standpoint of like, if you are signing up to have a call with me, like, you know what you are getting yourself into, which implies that like, if you have feelings about that, we are going to talk about them because you had to self-select that you knew how much it cost in order to even have this conversation in the first place. Now, the second thing about this is that person sought you out to inquire about your services. So whether they hire you or somebody else, it is top of mind for them right now to work with somebody. They're like, okay, I'm looking, you know, maybe they're asking a few coaches, like they are going around right now trying to figure out like who they want to work with. It is implied that it is already on their agendas to hire someone. So again, in that case, coaching them on objections is really in service to them because if they're like, I've been looking for somebody, you seem value aligned, we had a great conversation, I think you could help me, but I'm afraid about the cost. When you're like, okay, yeah, that's fine. Like get back to me when you're not afraid about the cost. They are always going to be afraid about the cost. Like, <laughs> there's never, they're, they're not going to be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go save up for this and come back in six months. Like, maybe some people will, but most people are not. They are inquiring because they want transformation now. And so, when you don't do the due diligence to say, you know, I understand an investment like this is scary. Can I coach you on how you're feeling about making this investment? You're letting them walk off into the night, continuing to have the, the very problem that they inquired for your help to stop. Like, you're not as full in service to them as you could be. So when somebody reaches out to you directly, it's really like dropping the ball not to do your due diligence, to hold space for them in the conversation about what fears are coming up for them around potentially investing. Alternatively, with my beloved strategy of telling people you can help them and giving them the gift of talking to you about that, that person may not be thinking about, oh, I was looking to invest in a business coach or a health coach or a life coach or whatever. That person was like going about their life, happened to run into you, magical happenstance. There was alignment, congruency around what it was that you do, and you offer them the opportunity to potentially help them. You get on that call and they're like, oh my God, yeah, like you can help me. Like I didn't even know that this was what I needed. I've been looking for something like this to help me, but I don't want to spend X amount of dollars on your services right now because like, I want to go to Italy with my partner in three months and spend all of that money on pasta, right? (laughs) To coach that person on objections, to be like, well, what if there was a universe where you could eat all the pasta 
and no longer have imposter syndrome, which is like what we see a lot in coaching, right? Borders a little bit on manipulation unless you have consent. Consent is the key thing here. Maybe we need to come up with a new coaching based word, like instead of coaching on objections, it's like consent based inquiry into objections. <laughs> when you ask for consent, you open up a door to whether or not the client is even open to having that conversation. Now, I would ask consent to coach on objections whether this person filled out an application. I was giving them a free call. Like, however, they came into my orbit, I still always ask to coach on a, or consent to coach on objections because consent is cool, y'all, right? Consent means that we respect the client's boundaries and we are not guiding them to have a conversation that they don't want to have. There is no sales call where guiding a client to have a conversation where they've explicitly told you they do not want to have it is going to result in them enrolling with you, especially if this person is a random person that you happen to meet that you think that you could help or a close friend or a family friend or whatever. You want a brand advocate. You want that person, whether or not they enroll with you, to get off of that call feeling like you did right by them not just for them, but for the entire sake of the industry, because I cannot tell you how many people get off of sales calls with coaches or talk to me when they find out that I'm a coach and say things like, somebody was really creepy to me on a call. Like they were really manipulative. And I know all y'all are trying to avoid that, which is why you're avoiding having the much needed conversation of consent-based coaching on objectives in the first place. But Again, we are dropping the ball when we do not ask for consent because sometimes there is a universe where the person can have pasta and coaching if that's what they want. They have to want that. And this is true of coaching in general. You know, if somebody is not ready to leave their relationship, even if you think from the outside that it is objectively like not the best thing for them, you're not going to coach them into leaving their relationship. Like if somebody wants to, pull the trigger on a new business idea, but like they want to have a baby first, you're not going to coach them to like reverse the order of that unless that's something that they genuinely want, nor should we, right? Like it is the opposite of our job as coaches to coerce our clients into doing things the way that we think is right for them. Because honestly, the only person who can know what is right for you is you. So if somebody that you've never met previously to this first enrollment call conversation or a referral or a friend of a friend, whatever, or a friend that you have that you're like, I actually think I could really help you. Let's have a conversation. They get to the point of the call where they're like, okay, like I'm convinced you're a badass at this. Like, thank you so much for this really empowering, insightful conversation that we just had together, right? You have that conversation and then... They're like, yeah, so how much is it? You tell them. And they're like, "Mm, like, that's kind of steep. I don't know if I can do that right now. Or I wasn't expecting it to be that much. Like, I need to think about it and get back to you. Or I want to talk to my partner or whatever, like the standard objections that y'all have gotten, right? This is what you say. I get it. Talking about the financial component is always the stickiest part of these kinds of conversations. I really, really get that. I want to offer you the opportunity to chat with me about some of the hesitations, fears, questions, resistance that is coming up for you around saying yes to this. If you know in your body that 100% it's just not the right time for you, it's not the priority for you to work on this right now, 
There is nothing that I could ever say that would be an ethical way to convince you otherwise. However, because I find people find this to be an uncomfortable quandary, I always like to offer people the option to talk out their thoughts, fears, and concerns with me. Is that something that you're interested in? And then if they say yes, then you can coach on objections. If they say no, you can say, okay, well, in that case, like, I want to respect your boundaries. Thank you so much for your time. I hope that this was valuable for you. And here are some next steps that you can do for us to either stay in touch. If you find over time that you're still thinking about how our work could help you with whatever it was that you talked with them about that day, my door is open. I can't guarantee that I'll have client availability or that my rates will be the same, but I always appreciate being a trusted thought partner for somebody who is looking for this kind of change. And I I want you to know that like you're the one in charge of what you want in your life when you decide to change this thing and that I know I'm great at my job, but there are other people, other methods, other ways out there for you to get the results that you want. It's always an honor and a privilege when someone chooses to do that work with me. And then you can even say too, like, I'm going to follow up with you in three months to see where you're at. I'm making a note in my calendar now. If something comes up within those three months, reach out to me. If I have a deal or a special or whatever, I'll reach out to you. Would you like that? Like you can set up next steps. And I think this is the other place that people really drop the ball on is that they do not strategically set up next steps because y'all take it personally or you get disheartened when people are like, I can't afford it or it's not the right time or whatever. And you take that objection and you're like, huh, deflated, you know, sad face. Okay, like best of luck, bye. Instead of standing powerfully in leadership and creating best next steps, which is like, again, I'll reach out to you in three months or in the case of they do want coaching on objections, but then they want like a week to think about it or something. You're like, okay, I'm going to schedule a follow-up conversation for us where you're going to let me know of your decision as opposed to like letting them walk off into the night, wondering if they're going to ghost you, freaking out if you haven't heard from them in two days, wondering what you did wrong. Like you are the practitioner. It is your job to set up a safe space, like a really, you know, holistic, embodied, clear environment. Like if you are confused about when you're going to reach out or what the next step is, they are confused too. They have no idea. So I invite you to come up with a procedure for yourself. And it can even be like a checklist that you keep open in a separate window next to Zoom. So you make sure that you do it when you get on the call. But it's like introductions, like pricing, setting up next steps, like taking a few deep breaths before you get on, all the things that you want to remember to do when you're talking to a potential client and have those things outlined for yourself so that you don't find yourself in a position of being like, oh no, they said no, I got anxious. I told them best of luck. I closed the Zoom screen. I never heard from them again. Whether or not that particular person enrolls with you as a coach, you having a methodology that you can lean into that is ethics-based and makes you feel safe enough to have the uncomfortable conversations that you are avoiding having with clients for fear of sounding like a used car salesman is going to make you a better practitioner overall. And being in the practice of guiding those conversations will ultimately help you find more aligned clients and also help you help those clients with a much deeper scope of work because you are not running away at the first sign that they're not ready, quote unquote, ready, right? Because it's like, maybe they're just nervous or maybe like the cost is scary. And if they had somebody to break that down with, they could think about how it could work 
I want to give like one more example of this just because I think it would be helpful for y'all. But there is kind of like a sticker shock or like a, a bigness or a gravity of a number when you say it, right? So like if someone's main objection is the price and let's say for argument's sake, you charge $3,000 for three months of one-on-one coaching and you deliver the price and they're like, oh, that's a lot. I need to think about that. And you ask for consent. Hey, you know, I get that. A lot of people respond that way. Not the first time I've heard it. Do you want to talk about what's coming up for you? Because when somebody says they can't afford it, what they could mean is like, literally, they could not afford it. They don't, their credit cards are maxed out. They are in debt. They are struggling already to pay their bills. It could also mean they have $10,000 in a savings account that they never want to touch because their parents told them that they should always have $10,000 in a savings account. It could also mean that they have $3 million in a savings account and they think that $3,000 sounds like a lot of money to spend on something like this because they have no familiarity with what it is. I don't make assumptions about which camp plus there could be like a whole you know there's option there's option c d e f g all the way to the end of the alphabet people come with all kinds of circumstances and all kinds of beliefs about money it is not our job to assume that somebody can or cannot afford something that's actually none of your business and a really fucked up way <laughs> to go about making assumptions about whether or not people can or should work with you often we are wrong too about what people can afford because we are not looking inside of their bank accounts So when you're confronted with somebody saying that they can't afford it, particularly if this person checked that they knew how much it was going to be before they got on the call, uh, you can say, I get it. That comes up for a lot of people. Do you want to talk about what your feelings around that are? Uh, When you say you can't afford it, I find that people fall into three categories. One, like to actually invest in this would put them in a position to be unable to afford their finances. Two, they can invest in this, but it will require them to either touch savings or put money on a credit card, and that feels really scary. Or three, they've never invested in something like this before, and just the number seems big. Do you want to tell me which one of those you are? And you totally don't have to, by the way. And then, you know, you get to have a deeper conversation, and they might be like, okay, well, I'm a number two, and I'm afraid of taking on credit card debt. And you could say, like, okay, well, is there a kind of payment plan that would make this feasible for you if you actually break this down and we look at it as being $500 a month, for example? Like, does that change the way that you feel about its affordability? Like, you can have those kinds of conversations because they're rooted in consent and they're also more focused on getting clear with the client about what is true for them as opposed to trying to tell them that like, if they really wanted it bad enough, they would figure out a way to afford it or that they just need to expand their money mindset and then it will be affordable for them. Or if they buy it, they'll become so enlightened by the time the coaching is over, they'll have made their money back or all the other kind of like weird fucked up things (laughs) that maybe you or maybe just me, I don't know, have heard on enrollment calls. So I know I said this is the last thing, but this is the other last thing. Your ability to do this hinges on how comfortable you feel in yourself to go to the deep, deep depths of your own money shit and with your clients. And I don't mean like just like 
you have to heal your money stuff in order to be able to do this because we're all still healing our money stuff forever. That's And that's also like very vague, but you can't take people somewhere that you're not willing to go yourself. So if you feel uncomfortable talking about money, you're not going to somehow show up and feel comfortable talking to someone about their money, right? Like your own level of comfort, looking at your finances, thinking about why you would invest in support, thinking about what money you want to allocate to the things that you want to change in your life, thinking about the value of the services that you offer and doing some work about really like understanding that value. And if you're newer, that may mean that you actually lower your prices until you create proof for yourself that the things that you're guiding people through really work. And based on experience, you then raise your rates, which is why as a practitioner, I'm a big proponent of scaling your salary over time, not just selling life coaching for $10,000 the second you get certified so you can make a lot of money. That makes our industry look bad people. Um, But really like incrementally growing as you grow your skill set, because I don't know a lot of therapists who are worried about their hourly rate. Like I don't know in, in most other industries, people who are really hyper anxious about if they are charging too much based on, you know, what the cost of goods and services is. Like your pricing is not dramatic if it's based on the cost of goods and services. You don't go to a restaurant and try to negotiate paying for the pasta, the the steak at the price of the pasta dish because like you can't afford the steak, but you want it. And so you're asking to pay the price of the pasta. You would either just like buy the pasta or not eat at that restaurant. And your clients are not different than that. Like if people can't afford to work with you, it's not your responsibility to figure out how to cater to them so that they can. There are some people who cannot afford to work with you and that's okay. There are some times in your own business where you can afford to make a particular investment that you wouldn't have made at a different time. There are some times in your life where you can afford to buy something that you've been waiting to buy. And there are other times where that's not the case. Like this is not dramatic. It's not a mindset block. It's not like something you need to manifest your way out of. It's actually an incredibly straightforward conversation. If you have confidence in what you're selling and you're not trying to play into a kind of mind game where you are adopting a coercive sales technique. The issue is that well-intentioned practitioners like people who are listening to this heard that in somebody else's program, adopted it as the method that they think that they're supposed to do because they presume that the practitioner who taught it to them must know better than them because they're making money. But then in your own body, you feel bad because it is not aligned with your values when you're doing it that way. So it's not working. And then you internalize that there's something wrong with you and your sales method. The way to fix all of that is to align your sales and your coaching on objections with your values. Be, as I said before, as honest as and as kind to people as possible, which means telling them the truth. Like, I actually can help you. And these are the rates. And if that's not feasible for you right now, I'll reach out in six months. Like it is not more complicated than that. When you cultivate a model for yourself that really aligns with your values, it becomes so, so, so much easier to have those kinds of conversations. I just want to give a quick little shout out to a free workshop I am doing. It'll get y'all nicely set up for 2024. It is called Match Your Income With Your Impact. 
running a profitable ethical business in late stage capitalism. And we are going to really be diving into your 2024 strategies so that you can ensure that your businesses, regardless of what's going on in the economy, are profitable in a way that feels value aligned for you next year. The link for that is in the show notes. If you're subscribed to my emails, which I hope you are, you will be hearing about that as well. And that workshop, for those of you who are listening to this episode when it comes out, which is 2023, is going to be on December 12th and 14th of 2023. If you hear this in 2024, don't worry, boo. We got free workshops coming for you next year as well. And my goal is really that all of you feel good selling your services because if you love coaching but you hate selling, it's going to be really hard to make sustainable money and you are probably driving yourself crazy. So that's all I got for you all today. If you have questions, thoughts, feedback about this episode, you can slide into my DMs with some love. I can't respond to everybody, but I love connecting with you when I have the chance. And I wish you luck on ethically coaching with consent on objections. See you next week.